you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, say amen. We've all heard of uh, rags to riches stories, but seldom do we hear a rags to riches, back to rags, riches again, and back to rags again story. But such is the story of a former NFL quarterback by the name of Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was a all-state high school player from Iowa. We're at in Iowa, Brother Kay. I knew you would know that by Cedar Falls. He tried out for uh, the Green Bay Packers in 1994 and was uh, swiftly cut, and because there were no more options athletically at that time, um, he took a job in Cedar Falls stocking shelves at a local grocery store, and he was humbled by those events, and, and so he redoubled his ambition to make it in football. And it wasn't long before he found a niche in the Arena Football League, uh, calling signals for the Iowa Barnstormers. It was fun, but as you can imagine, it wasn't the NFL. And there weren't any scouts calling him after the Barnstormers games. So Warner headed to Europe. And he signed on with a team in Amsterdam uh, where he had a, an outstanding season which drew the attention of the St. Louis Rams and earned him a contract backing up the starting quarterback who at that time was Trent Green. Well, Green went down. And needless to say, the fans were in misery because all they had to back up Trent Green was some dude that had been stocking shelves in a grocery store. But much to their delight, Warner set eight team records, won the NFL's Most Valuable Player Award, and led the Rams to their first world championship as a Super Bowl MVP. Warner climbed the mountain, but he still hadn't reached the top. That would come the next year, in 2001, as he led the NFL in multiple categories on the way back to the Super Bowl he was the league MVP for the second time in two years, and that was the mountaintop. He had written his name across the NFL record books and across the hearts of Rams fans as well. But in 2002, Warner started down the other side of the mountain with a broken finger and a broken hand, which led to an 0-6 start for the season. 
At that point, the Rams decided to start backup QB Mark Bolger, who led the Rams to wins in the next six games. So whereas Warner was 0-6, this guy was 6-0. and 2003 looked like a potential comeback year for Warner, but a less than stellar performance in the first game of the, the season relegated him to the bench. So here came Bolger again, leading the Rams to a 12-4 record in the NFC West title. On the mountaintop, Kurt Warner's game was unsurpassed. He won a Super Bowl. He was a talk show staple. He nailed down the highest passing rating in NFL history. He wrote a book. I mean, he was just enjoying life. But before he knew it, he was sliding back down the mountain toward obscurity. So up and down. The mountain is our destination. Everybody wants to live life on the mountaintop. But church, listen, it's on the downward slopes that life takes its measure of us. I chuckled at this story that Tom Selleck once told he said, whenever I get full of myself, I remember that nice couple who approached me on a street in Honolulu, and they had a camera. And so I immediately struck a pose for them, and a man looked at him. He said, no, 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 no. We want you to take a picture of us. Humility has a way of putting us in our place, does it not? Absolutely. The eighth chapter of Ecclesiastes defines humility in five ways. I'll give them to you and then we'll elaborate on them. Number one, knowing how much you don't know. Number two, living with what you don't like. Number three, accepting what you can't change. Number four, enjoying what you can't explain. And finally, discovering what you can't discover. So let's look at verse 1 and jump into this study tonight. Let's talk about this. Humility is knowing how much you don't know. Look at verse 1. Solomon said, Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth? the interpretation of a thing. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. We'll get more into that in a moment, but the book of Proverbs consistently warns us about being wise in our own eyes. For example, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, Solomon said this, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In chapter 12 and verse 15, he said, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. 
But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. He went on to say in chapter 26 and verse 12, he said, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Let that sink in. There's more hope of a fool than a man or a woman who is wise in their own conceit. Isaiah also calls out those who are wise in their own eyes. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 21, he said, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Solomon, the author of both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, speaks to the way that true wisdom impacts a man. Solomon says here in, in verse 1 that it, that it changes him. It humbles him and that humility is reflected in his countenance. Have you ever, have you ever seen somebody that you just knew automatically was arrogant? I mean, you could just see it. And then at the same time, you've seen people that just ex exude humility. And that's what humility does. It, it shows in our countenance the way we look and the way we carry ourselves and the way we approach people. A truly wise man knows how much he doesn't know. How many of you know a know-it-all? Now, a wise man knows how much he doesn't know because he knows who he does know. He has access to God's wisdom, and that's enough. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, and he said this, And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth not, or excuse me, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. And so the first thing that we need to understand about humility, it's, it's about knowing how much you don't know. And then look at verse 2. Humility is living with what you don't like. Look at verse 2. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. He said, be not hasty to go out of his sight. That's the king's sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart, look at this, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him, for he knoweth not that which shall be, 
For who can tell him when it shall be? In these verses, Solomon uses the illustration of a king whose authority no one would dare question. Look at verse 4 again. And who, who, who would dare say unto him, I'm paraphrasing here, what in the world are you doing? Well, you didn't question the king. He was the man. He was the one with all of the authority. And you just didn't question him. Solomon has an answer for the person who is forced to live contrary to his desires. It's in verse 2 where he tells us to keep the, uh, to keep the king's commandment for the sake of our oath to God. Now here's the point that Solomon is making. Godly wisdom, and again I'm going to put a plug in here for Pastor Tyler's Proverbs series, it's been phenomenal. And he's got one more message, and then he's going to stop the study for a while because we're entering into a, a different section and segment of Solomon's teachings, and, and he'll pick that up sometime in the future. But you can go online and listen uh, to that series. It, it really has been phenomenal. But the point that Solomon is making is, is that Godly wisdom, which is what Pastor Tyler has been emphasizing and teaching about and preaching on, it gives us the humility, listen, it gives us the humility to submit to those in authority. Even when we feel they are being unfair or harsh or unreasonable, or even ridiculous. And let's be honest, that's not easy. You all work in, most of you work in places where policy changes are handed down and new guidelines are developed and handed down and you, you've, been in, you, you've been on the receiving end of that and no doubt you've probably erred your dislike, this is stupid. Come on, this is dumb. Why are they doing that? This makes no sense. I mean, they're up there in the office and they're not down here where things are going on. They have no clue, am I close? You know what godly wisdom does? It gives us the humility to respond to those things in the right way. And look at this. Solomon advises us to be respectful. Remember this. This all has to do with our testimony as a Christian. Our testimony as a believer. And look, look what Solomon said. It's very practical. He said be not hasty to go out of his sight. Out of the king's sight. Out of the the sight of the person who's in authority. In other words, don't storm out of the room. Or be disrespectful in other ways. Because a wise man's heart 
is able to discern, Solomon said in verse 5, both time and judgment. In other words, we'll know when it's right to humbly submit to authority and we'll know when to respectfully refuse to submit. And there is a time for that. And there is a right way to do it. If what you're asked to do is unlawful, if what you're asked to do is a, is a, would lead you to disobey the word of God, if it's dishonest, if it's unethical, then there is a time to stand up and speak up and say, I can't do that. And to do it respectfully. Because again, your testimony as a Christian is at stake. But those times do exist. But church, listen, just because you don't like some new guideline or policy or directive that comes down from those in authority, we don't have the biblical right to rebel and refuse to submit. But again, if our obedience to that guideline or policy or directive would cause us to disobey God's word in some form or fashion, then I believe we have a biblical mandate to respectfully refuse to obey. We, we all right? Number three, humility is accepting what we can't change. All of us have read these words. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and I like this, and the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference. One of the most difficult things for us to accept is that there are some things that are simply out of our control. Right? There are just some things. Listen, had I been in control, that snow would have fallen somewhere else. Hallelujah. If I was in control, it, wouldn't, it would never get below 80 degrees. Ever. Hey, I'm in control. Watch it. When I die and you're God, then you can do what you want to do. I'm telling you, there are some things that are beyond our control, and we struggle with that. And it's during those times of our lives, listen, church, that we must... Humbly submit to God's authority. Or excuse me, to God's sovereignty. 
believing that he will take care of us. I may have shared this story with you before, and if I, if I did, I did it then for the same reason I'm doing it now. <laughs> and that's because the statute of limitations has run out. <laughs> Years ago, I don't know, I may, I mean, I wasn't a little kid. I was, I was old enough to run around on my own around Tyrone, of course. Back then, I could have been six years old, and I'm driving at seven, so not not that young. But so, me and a buddy—I can't even remember who I was with—but we're uh, we're out in a a field. Tom Ronder here. That was it'd be north of the tracks. I think where the they built that little league baseball field across the across the street and where Fagley used to live. There's a field out there, and it was empty and had a, these big old clumps of grass. I don't even know. I'm sure they had some kind of technical name. I don't know what they were. They were just big clumps of, of grass. And we took matches out there. You don't know where this story going. He's up. And we would light those clumps of grass on fire, and they would just flame up real big, and then they'd die down, and we'd stomp them out. I mean, it was cool. It was awesome. They just like, they're, they're made of gasoline. Just throw them, and they'd die down, we'd stomp them out. It was all good. Until some embers from one of those kind of flew over there. So we ran over there and tried to stomp it out, and then some more flew over there. Rowan started stamp, stomping that out, and before long, it was out of control. And there was not a thing in the world we could do but run. And we did. While we were running, we heard, whoo, the old fire truck fired up at Tyrone. It actually started, and they, they went on and put, I don't, it, it burned a lot of that field. It, it, it's funny now, it wasn't funny then, we were scared to death. And I remember that feeling of absolute helplessness. I mean, there wasn't a thing in the world we could do. We did our best to try and control it, but ultimately it got way, way, way out of control. Now, I share that story with you tonight to ask you this. Have you ever experienced that feeling of helplessness? When you've seen things happening that, that you had absolutely no control over and you felt helpless. Now, you get into all kind of practical applications there. But enough of you are nodding your head. You understand what I'm talking about. In verses 8 through 14, Solomon suggests four things that we can't control. And the first one is death. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8. There is no man that hath power over the spirit, 
to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. In other words, no one's getting out. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. The day of our death is out of our hands. I, I don't know how many of you are, I know some of you are old enough to remember uh, Sanford and Son. One day, one day Fred Sanford said, health nuts are going to feel stupid someday lying in the hospital dying of nothing. <laughs> We've all heard stories of, of health conscious people who worked out religiously and ate disciplined diets and took vitamins and suffered a heart attack one day out jogging. Now, I think we can and, and I think we should take care of our health. And I, I try to, for the most part, I honestly do. If they close Sonic, it would really help me. <laughs> or at least just quit doing sweet tea. That would really help. But listen, and, I, and I'm not making light of this tonight, but when it's my time, it's my time. It doesn't matter how, how many days in a row I go to the gym. It doesn't matter if I ever quit drinking pot or quit drinking sweet tea or ever start eating vegetables. Listen, when it's my time, it's my time. When it's your, and I'm not being flippant about that. When it's your time, it's your time. That is, that is out of our control. Can't do anything about that. Queen Elizabeth I was considered the most powerful woman on earth. But as she was dying, I want you to look at what she said. She said, oh my God. It is over. I have come to the end of it. The end. The end. To have only one life and to have done with it. To have lived and loved and triumphed. And now to know it is over. And then she said this, one may defy everything else but this. Death. Death has a way of humbling us. I mean, just the thought of it tonight should humble us as we are once again reminded that we have no power over the, the spirit, the, the breath of life to retain it, and we have zero power over death. Humility helps us understand that. It's the arrogant who say, I am the God of my own life. I am in control of my, my own destiny and my own soul. And I'll decide when I live and I'll decide when I die. And you're an idiot. Because we have no control of that. And humility teaches us 
that truth. But look at verse 9. We can't control distress. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. There's not a person in here tonight who's going to get through life without being hurt. And we cannot live in a world filled with people without somebody stepping on our feet. I'm guessing some of you were hurt in some form or fashion today. But it's hard to accept the pain that is imposed on us. Now, I don't know about you, but when that happens, I want to strike back. Can I get a witness right there? Yeah, I want, to, I want to strike back. I want to hurt someone else. And there are times I just want to sit around and feel sorry for myself. As we think of all the things that worry us, which of those things can we change? If we can change some of them, then we should. If our last checkup at the doctor worried us and concerned us, and we can do something to change that, then we should. If we live stressed over our finances, to a great degree, there are some things we can do to change that. So whatever we can change, we ought to change. But when it comes to those things that we can't change, we just have to humbly accept them Trust God with them, and don't let them ruin our life. I uh, was reminded of this quote today, and I uh, Googled it and found it. R Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, at one point, was the mother of two very wayward sons. And she wrote a book, and I would encourage moms to get that book if you haven't read it, Prodigals and Those Who Love Them. And here's what she said. We mothers must take care of the possible and trust God for the impossible. We are to love, affirm, encourage, teach, listen, and care for the physical needs of the family. And then she said this, we cannot convict of sin, create hunger and thirst after God, or convert 
And I love this. She said, these are miracles. And miracles are not in our department. Amen. Last I checked, miracles are above my pay grade. We can't do it. But there are a lot of things we can do. And what we can do, we ought to do. And trust God to do what we can't do. And honestly, that right there, I think, would agree with me, is a good, good rule for all of life. As hard as it is, we must learn to trust God with those things that we can't control. And no doubt I'm speaking to some control freaks here tonight. That's just who you are. It's your personality. I get it. But try as you may, there are just some things you can't control. And I can't control. And so when it comes to those who hurt us or things that distress us, we don't have a lot of control over that. Now, as we taught in our Bible study classes a couple of weeks ago, we have no control over the things that people say to us and do to us, but we do have control over how we respond. I can hear my wife right now teaching our kids. I mean, she taught them that from the time they were old enough to, to get it. Didn't always sink in, especially our oldest one. He was a fighter. He was like, eh, ain't turning no cheek. I'm going to pop that guy in the cheek. But that's not because his mama didn't teach him. Amen. Let's move on. Verse 10, you still with me? All right, I'm going to try to speed up a little bit. We can't control deception. Look at verse 10. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so, where they had so done. This is also vanity. Warren Wearsby, I've referenced him a lot in my preaching. He paints this picture in his commentary. In verse 10, Solomon reported on a funeral he had attended. The deceased man was a man who had frequented the temple, the place of the holy, and had received much praise from the people. But he had not lived a godly life. Yet he was given a magnificent funeral with an eloquent eulogy. While the truly godly people of the city were ignored and forgotten. And tell me tonight, does that not still happen? Wicked, godless Immoral people die all of the time, and just because they're famous, their deaths are mourned all over the world. Their funeral processions are 
all over the TV. I mean, you got helicopters everywhere. You're zooming in, man. Yeah, it's a long one, and it's where they're going. It's what's going on. But yet the simple, humble, godly man or woman gets none of that. It's none of that. I mean, just this weekend we saw that. And I just thought today, and she's not here, so I'll mention her name. What if Karen Downs had gone to be with the Lord on the same day that Kobe Bryant died? That's what Solomon's talking about. But guess what? We have no control over that. Absolutely zero control over that. I told you a moment ago if I was God about the snow. Well, I'm not God, but am I the only one here tonight that wishes sometime he would just ask me? Hey, Bill, what do you think? Well, God, let me, let me tell you what I think. <laughs> am I alone in that? <laughs> hey, Bill, I got, I, got this, uh, I got this situation. What do you think? What do you got? God, here's what I got, but that's not going to happen, unfortunately. Of course, if we were in control, then come on, things would be different. Life would be fair. But alas, we aren't, and God has a perfect plan. And if people get more praise than they deserve, let them. Because they, like us, still have to stand before God one day. Now, before I move on, let me just throw this out to you. If you know someone who is underpraised, take the initiative. Pat them on the back. Send them a text. Corner them after church. Say, listen, I just want you to know I appreciate what you do. That'd be good for all of us. Amen? We can't control defiance. Look at verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. In other words, the good guys get what the bad guys have coming. And the bad guys get what the good guys have coming. 
and that's a struggle. We wonder to ourselves, how can they get by with that? Well, here's a little tidbit for you. They're not getting by with it. God sees it all. God keeps the records. And they, like us, again, will one day have to stand before him in judgment. So humility is knowing how much you don't know. It's living with what you don't like. It's accepting what you can't change. But then a couple of other things really, really quick. Verse 15, humility is enjoying what you can't explain. Look at this. Then I commended myrrh, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. <laughs> so Solomon just finished telling us that we can't do anything in the, in the world to change death or distress or defiance or deception. And then in the next verse, he says, so just go out and have a good time. <laughs> and really, what else can we do? Sit around and gripe and complain and worry ourselves sick? That is an option. Not a good one, but it's an option. A much better option would be to accept that which is unacceptable. Leave it to God and, and just enjoy the blessings that he's given us. We often find ourselves seemingly walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, don't forget that God's goodness and mercy follow us every step of the way. Right. Pastor David Jeremiah offers these sound words. He said, the secret of life, the power of finding heaven on earth, is embracing heaven while accepting earth. I like that. We change what we can, we accept what we can't, and we walk, in, walk on with the joy of God's companionship. And then finally Solomon teaches this in verses 16 and 17, humility is discovering what you can't discover. Then said I, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the... What am, I, am I, what am I reading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's get this right. Verse 16, let's try this again. Back up. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom... There we go. And to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with the eyes, then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it okay listen to me church 
God did not forget to tell us anything important. <laughs> Everything we need to know is knowable. And will be revealed to us in God's own time. Otherwise, and I'll close with this, our response is to humbly acknowledge that he is the only wise God. And to him belongs all the honor and all the glory. Paul said as much in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.